When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Way. Back with you guys for another episode of our Press Box series, a show in which I'm joined by our colleagues from over at Football.London. I'm today joined by Kai. Kai Nak, how are you doing, mate? Are you well? I'm very good, thank you. How about yourself? Yes, very good. Besides the chaotic week of losing car keys and, and the like, it's been, uh, <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a decent week, it has. It's just, I was talking about this this morning with, with a couple of friends about how I'm desperate for football this weekend, but I'm not so desperate because it means that after this weekend, we've got a whole drought of club football. I know, another one. Break. Another it's one. Third time it? in like, three months. There's so many of them. It's just too as many you start to get used to it. But the, the good thing we can take from it is after this one, there's not one for, I think, five or something months. So Yeah, it's March, I think, isn't yeah. it? The next, the there next you go. one. So that's, Four, that's five months the positive. And we obviously go into festive else. period, which is there's loads yes. of football to talk yes. about. We're and be uh, very busy. Yeah, I was going to say, we're, we're dreading the fact there's an international break, but when we're hit with the festive period following the January <laughs> window, it's going to be uh, all hands on deck for sure. Yeah. Um, but we are obviously leading up to this game against Watford, which is Mikel Arteta's 100th game uh, as Arsenal coach. And I do want to kick off by talking about that and kind of getting your thoughts around how you feel Arteta's done ever since he, he started over in, it was all the way back in 2019, which I know is still less than two years ago, but it genuinely feels like I must have been a teenager when Arteta took over. It feels like it's been that long. I know, I think I was still in nursery when Mikel Arteta was actually uh, <laughs> appointed. It feels like it was that long ago. Yeah, two years. It's been less than two years, which is mad to think. But mm. obviously so much has happened since then. Not just Arteta said this himself in his press conference, but not just in football, but in the world, obviously the pandemic. Yeah. Um, our entire lives has changed since then. So lots of things have gone on. And um, it feels like Arsenal have been through a lot in that time. They're, they're a completely mm. different team. If you look at the side who... Mikel Arteta played in that first game. I'd be interested to see. I'm not sure. I think maybe Aubameyang and Lacazette are the only players really still involved from that first starting 11. Yeah, 2-2 two, two with Bournemouth that it was. Uh, one was a, all, I want to say. 1-1. One, one? I know it was a yeah, draw. Yeah, I know Jacker <laughs> played in that game and Ur Ozil coming back was obviously the big story. And then yeah, so the lineup was Leno, Maitland-Niles, Socrates, David Luiz, Bakaya Saka at left-back, Xhaka, oh, yeah. Torreira, Abamyang, Ozil, Reese Nelson started, and Lacazette wow. up top. Wow. How things change. Yes, exactly. It's just a sign of, to be fair, how much work he's done in this short period of time, which given the, obviously, pandemic we were talking about before and all those things that have gone on, is impressive. The amount of turnover we've seen, mm. player turnover, obviously a, a bit of, uh, I don't know, Deadwood seems harsh, but players who are maybe surplus to requirements still at the club. But plenty of players have been moved on in that short space of time and plenty have been brought in. And you'd have to say, given how well it's going for us right now, he deserves credit for how seamlessly that seems to have been done. Yeah. But there's still plenty more to come in the, the next 100 games if he makes it that far. I suppose we, we think about it as such a long time because, as you say, so much has changed. That that lineup against Bournemouth 
Bakaya Saka, Bamming and Lacazette are the only survivors we'd expect to see start on at the weekend. Granit Xhaka might have been in there, had he have been fit, of course, but Lukonga and Partey have come in and, and been excellent. The whole the whole back five is different. I mean, Saka, of course, isn't that left back. He'll be playing it in the forward line. We've brought in Tini, obviously, will be back fit for, for this game, we hope, which ironically was the reason why he was left out of that game as well, because he wasn't yet fit during that period. Louise and, and Socrates has now swapped out for, for White and Gabriel, which is a... Com- completely more youthful it's more youthful isn't it that's been the big change I think for Arsenal squad it's there's so much more of kind of younger energetic feel about this squad now I think that's why they're so easy to relate to as a team and I think that's why fans are a lot more willing to maybe let a few things go I guess um, and support them a bit more unconditionally when you come with the baggage of a player like Socrates or a David Luiz who have been around the block a few times you sort of you lose faith that they're ever going to change or get better whereas with this current crop of players Ben White Gabriel Tommy Asu, who turns 23 today, so happy birthday to him. Kieran Tini, players like that. I think, right, they've made a mistake, but they're going to learn from it and they're going to get better. When they're young, you get the feeling things are going to improve and that's always a positive. Obviously, Arsenal have the youngest squad in the Premier League, which is a very risky strategy, but I think in the long term, it's going to pay dividends for the Gunners. And yeah, I think it's a really smart piece of business and I think it's yeah. why Arsenal, the, the mood around the camp and the mood around the club in general is so positive at them. It is risky, um, but if it I'm say, if it pays off and Arsenal, say, get back into Europe with the youngest average Premier League squad, what they can build from that and how the players can naturally improve just by development is going to be huge for them going forwards. Um, and we obviously have, have seen a few more England uh, call-ups for our team for so many years. The England team was just completely absent of of yeah. Arsenal players. I think it was just basically Theo Walcott that was was really one of the only ones that Welbeck was in there. Welbeck every now and again, yeah. Welbeck sometimes obviously got a call-up. Mm. Oxlade Chamberlain when he was here too sometimes was in there. But I remember the days when most of the, well, not most of, but there was a lot of, of Arsenal representation. Um, and that, that was obviously changed. Arsene Wenger brought in a lot more kind of imports from outside and that did obviously lessen the number of, of English players. But it's always been kind of, for me anyway, that the friendlies or the, the qualifiers for England are always difficult to, to get through at times. Um, but an Arsenal kind of presence in those teams gives us certainly more of an emphasis to watch. So, when I see that Ramsdale and Saka have been called up, I'm like, yeah, fantastic, that's great. But I can't help but be frustrated at Ben White and Emil Smith-Rowe's omission from that team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I've had a bit of time to sort of calm down since the first um, announcement was made and I've sort of stepped back from it a bit. And I'm, I'm more understanding <laughs> of the Emil Smith-Rowe decision just because obviously today he was called up to the under-21s and... My thinking was, particularly with that game against San Marino, where England are going to win anyway, you might as well give someone new a chance. We've seen players like Raheem Sterling, we know what they can do. He's not in the best form at club level, so why not give someone like Smith a chance? I guess that creates more of a story than it's probably worth, so maybe that's why uh, Gareth Southgate hasn't gone for it. But the Ben White decision, I just cannot understand. I mean, Tyron Mings has been dropped at Aston Villa because he's been playing poorly, and we had this conversation, I think, last time when the English squad was announced. And Connor Cody, I, I like him as a character and I get why he's called up in that sense. But can you really argue that he's offering more to the side than Ben White? Same goes for John Stones, who's started one Premier League game for Manchester City this season. Um, Harry Maguire was part of that side that conceded five at Liverpool. Uh, yeah. Ben White has kept five clean sheets himself in the past, um, I think, three matches for Arsenal. So, you know, he's clearly someone who needs to be in and around that England conversation. And it's a strange one because Southgate has always been someone who you get the feeling where he's obviously trying to create that club atmosphere at international level, which is important. So you want a similar-ish revolving cast of players. But at the same time, mm. you do want to be picking players 
on form. And as much as he said players like Ben White were in the conversation and in and around it, you look at Fakayo Tomori and AC Milan as well, who's doing fantastically as well. Players like that, you sort of wonder why they're not getting a look in when lesser players who are, let's be honest, a little bit older and a little bit later on in their careers, like Mings, like Cody, continue to get um, call-ups. I just think in the past, maybe England's central defensive depth wasn't that good, but now it's getting better and better. And mm. players like Ben White, for me at least, shouldn't just be ending the squad. They should be starting those games because I think Ben White is England's second-best centre-half right now. I'd argue that on form, he's probably even the best. But the fact mm. that he's not making the squad is... is is really disappointing and it sort of speaks to maybe Gareth Southgate bowing to, I guess, a few of the egos in the England squad rather than necessarily picking based on form. Yeah. What do you make of kind of the reaction online from Arsenal fans that are happy about it? Because some people would turn around and say that it's great. Ben White's now, we don't have to worry about him getting injured. Injuries can happen in training, by the way. I mean, remember Jack Wilshere famously getting very injured in training. Emil Smith-Rowe, ironically, I think maybe people looked over the fact that his, his omission from the senior side doesn't mean he's omitted from the under-21s and so he's going to be away with, with those guys. What do you make of that reaction? Um, I think Mikel Arteta did it, uh, answered it quite well, actually. He was asked about that in his press conference today mm. and I think his answer was something along the lines of, look, I'm obviously happy to have them, but we want to encourage our players to aspire for the greatest and best things in football. And if you're a footballer in the Premier League, your next step is trying to get called up for your national team. That's supposedly the pinnacle of football, maybe less so nowadays just because of how the Premier League has evolved and the Champions League has got increasing importance. But I think the best players tend to be playing for their national sides. So I get the argument that maybe Ben White will get a bit more time on the training grounds, but it's not like in that first international break where it was White, Ramsdale and Gabriel, and they had a bit of time to work with each other on the training ground and they clearly uh, managed to strike up quite a quick partnership very quickly. It's just going to be Ben White. I'm not sure if I quite buy into the idea that he's going to really benefit from having mm. two weeks extra on the training ground just because I think he's, he's he's shown what he can do and I really think this is the kind of game where he needs to be involved in the England setup. And it, yeah, it's frustrating that he is yeah, but they will be uh, available for Arteta this weekend against Watford, which is obviously a game that may not bring as much kind of narrative as the game away against Leicester or the home game against Villa. But it's, it's a game which throws up the opportunity for this momentum to come to an abrupt end if Arsenal don't take it as seriously as they need to. And, and Arsenal teams of the past have... We've been looking too far ahead of ourselves and we've stumbled on some of these banana skins and it's quite apt that they do play in yellow Watford uh, for the match. So uh, we need to make sure that we avoid this. Um, how do you think Arsenal are preparing for this? And do you get the sense from kind of the, the feel around the team now that that kind of arrogance and maybe expectation of or just the expectance of winning some games which bled into former sides maybe isn't there as much as it used to be? It's a good question. I think uh, from speaking to people around the club and from just observing the club and looking at the characters involved, you get the feeling that they're taking each game a lot more seriously. I think not being in Europe has a lot to do with that. So there's less sort of distractions to take them away. There's less um, games to focus on. So players are mentally fit and ready for each game as much as they are physically fit and ready for each game. So that plays a big part. And I don't think we should discount Watford. I don't think anyone realistically is discounting Watford. That's the thing about the Premier League is there's so many, I know it's a cliche, but there's no easy games. And like, there's a reason that's a, a saying. It's because, well, there aren't. I mean, there's probably a more articulate way of describing that, but there you go. I think it's the reason that um, Watford have chosen to appoint Claudio Ranieri is because they want to be up there and away from the relegation zone. So they need to be starting to win games. We saw 
when they played against Everton, that they've got a goal-scoring threat. Obviously, scored five against Everton. That's pretty impressive. But then again, we saw in the game against Liverpool that they can be opened up. So I think Arsenal go into this game with a thought process that, yes, we need to take it seriously and we need to win, but they'll be going into this game very much expecting playing the three points and hopefully going to the international break in the top five, not just the top six. That would be, I mean, there's a chance that obviously either they'll be three clear or a couple of points clear of Manchester United if they win. There's even a chance they could be level with Man City, which is just yes. ridiculous yes. when you consider yeah, where yeah. we were 10 games prior after this game. Yeah, if it's a 15-goal victory on Sunday, then Arsenal will be able to get up into third. So you never know. <laughs> Or maybe Ben Foster will do one for YouTube and throw a few in his own net maybe, for the views. Maybe. Maybe, maybe that'll happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, the big kind of dilemmas for Mikel Arteta this game is the news. And he talked about Kieran Tierney, the availability of him. He's, he's been training a couple of days and hopefully he'll be, he'll be free, free and set and ready to return. Are you, if you were Mikel Arteta, tempted to throw him in in this game and think he's, he's our starting left back, so if he's fit, he plays? Or do you reward Tavares with those two good performances against Villa and Leicester? So we've got a uh, reporter's 11 piece coming out with myself and one of our other Arsenal writers, Tasha and Denner and Elaine, tomorrow. So keep an eye out for that. But a little preview, I guess, of the Kieran Tierney, Nuno Tavares decision is I would stick with Nuno Tavares for this game. I think it seems as though Steve Clark is going to call Kieran Tierney up for the Scotland squad anyway. Scotland don't mm-hmm. play until late next week. So it doesn't make sense to, I guess, risk him getting injured now if he's going to be called up regardless in those next matches. It's a bruised ankle, so you feel like if they maybe give him some pain-killing injections, they'll be able to get through it and play in what is a really important game for Scotland. If they win, then they qualify for the playoffs for the World Cup qualifiers. It's a massive game, and he won't miss that. You know, We know his dedication to his country, so Mm. I wouldn't risk Tierney for this one. I also think Tavares has been in fantastic form, so why not let Tierney go away with Scotland, get the minutes into his legs there, and come back fully sharp after the international break for the first game, I think it's Liverpool. So you need him fit and firing for that one. I just think Tavares has been good. And if Tierney's not fully fit, then there's no reason to rush him back into the game against Watford. No, no, there isn't. I think it's certainly one that we're going to need to be careful about and how we manage Tierney because yes it's great that we've got this this young kid Tavares who if we did, had him last season maybe the end of last season would have been very different if we'd have had an actual backup to to Tierney available which we didn't but at the same time you need to understand that he's still very young two games in a row which have been great do not set the the, ter- the trend yeah. for the rest of the season and, and that needs to be wary and when we go up against Mohamed Salah it's going to be a huge test for whoever plays in that position and Tierney has already experience of playing against Salah and, and you know at home doing a very decent job at Anfield we've not been so lucky so <laughs> fingers crossed we can we can get something in that game but we'll focus on that of course much much closer to the time now Obviously, beyond that left-back position, it does seem like the rest of the team pretty much picks itself for Arteta. He seems very married now to this idea of this loose 4-4-2 slash 4-2-3-1 with Lacazette dropping into the number 10 role. Do you think, and I know we touched upon this last time, but do you think if, say, he does stick to that in this game, that it is kind of an indication that this is what he wants to move forward with, at least while he's got Lacazette available to him? I don't know. I don't think we can really make those sort of long-term conclusions mm. with Arsenal just because things change so quickly and form changes so quickly. I don't think anyone realistically would have expected Alex Lacazette to come in and play in a sort of nine-and-a-half role in behind Pierre-Eric Aubameyang, what is it, by the time the last international break mm. happens. So we've seen that things can change very quickly in football. I don't think Odegaard is someone who will necessarily be out of the team um, in this new setup. I think he's someone who can come in and in certain games, I, I, can't, I, I saw a tweet saying something along the lines of there are games where you need to sort of 
hammer down the defence and there are games where you sort of need to chisel through it with a bit more finesse and I think that's a perfect way of describing it. Some games, Alex Lacazette will be the kind of player that you want and some games, Martin Erdegaard will be the more refined option that you want. I think Watford, we're not quite sure what kind of threat they're going to pose just because we know that Ranieri likes to set up his teams quite compactly. So maybe a player like um, Lacazette, sorry, Erdegaard would make more sense for that. But I don't think uh, Artes will be one who's changed for a winning formula for this game at least. But that's not mm. to say that he won't ever do it in the future. I think, for example, maybe against a Liverpool uh, after the international break, he might want a bit more stability in the midfield. So he might choose Odegaard over Lacazette. That's not a, a dig at Lacazette at all. That's just the reality of the kind of mm. task you face when you play a team like Liverpool. So different games, uh, different opportunities, different options and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, uh, I think it's important that you you look at your opposition. Yes, we want to be confident enough that we can focus the majority of the prep on ourselves. Uh, and I think that the, obviously the best teams in the league that fight for their targets have most of the focus on what they're going to do rather than trying to combat what necessarily the opposition are going to do. You tend to see that the, the sides lower down the table, looking at the opposition, how are they going to try and get a point from that game or three points from that game? So we want to be at the upper echelons of the league and we need to be focusing on how we can get the best out of our own performance. So fingers crossed, that's the way that, that we see Arteta moving. Um, last kind of topic that I want to discuss uh, with you, uh, Kaya, obviously last night was Antonio Conte's first game um, as Tottenham boss. It was a interesting fixture <laughs> it's fair to say with three red cards five goals um it looked like it was all going rosy at three nil up after 30 or so minutes and then spurs did a bit a little bit of a spurs nearly completely blew it <laughs> it has obviously been officially confirmed since we did our last press box how do you feel about it now how do you and and i'll come also on to the, the other managerial thing which didn't happen which was unai emery we'll touch on that in a second but what have you made of, of conte's start and how do you now feel about it a couple of days in I'll be honest. I didn't actually see the game yesterday because I was mm. I was playing five aside myself, so I had to had to good miss choice. it. Unfortunately, <laughs> thank you, thank you. It sounded like a good match. I got lots of texts afterwards telling me that it was a good game. So um, I'll have to catch up on the highlights. I've actually seen the highlights this morning. It did look pretty entertaining. Mm. Um, I think we didn't really learn anything new about Spurs last night. We saw that they've got a very threatening attack. We know that players like Son, Kane, Lucas Moura, even Deli Ali, if he ever gets mm. back to his best form, players like that are very threatening. But we know that their defence isn't particularly solid and that's why Antonio Conte's sides are built on. I've not been particularly impressed by Christian Romero since he came in and he obviously mm. got sent off. Gavin Sanchez is a bit shaky on the ball and uh, Eric Dyer is someone who I think is very lucky to still be at a club mm. like Tottenham. Um, I think they really need some improvements in those areas and I think we also saw that in possession, I, have, I read some match reports, I spoke to some colleagues um, from Football London, who are involved with the Spurs side of things, and it's basically told us that um, midfield is a real issue for Tottenham, and that's going to continue to be the case. I think possession-wise, they struggled against Vitesse, from what I heard. Obviously, I haven't seen it. But mm. Yeah, like I said, we didn't really see anything new. I think Antonio Conte, though, in answer to your question as to whether he's a threat, he's a really good manager. So mm. yeah. obviously, Spurs are going to be a lot more of a, a threatening side than when they were under Nuno and I think we have to be a bit more I don't want to sound too disrespectful but take them maybe a little bit more seriously now as contenders for those European places because I think sure. Antonio Conte won't allow those kind of performances we saw from Spurs under Nuno in terms of maybe the lower intensity the less creativity less defensive work and I think you could argue maybe not putting in 100% mm. Conte is a very traditional pass master who will not allow things like that so I think Spurs have become more threatening 
uh, team because of it. But I still think, like we saw last night and like we know defensively and in midfield, they still have a lot of issues that they need to solve. They do. And what was interesting, I think, was was immediately they went to the three at the back system. Um, yeah, that we know yeah. that the Conte is very much uh, a fan of, and I mean Ben Davies played a left centre back role with Sergio Reguilón playing the, in the wing back position, Emerson Royale playing the right wing back position. Yeah, there's been big questions about whether he can play a right wing back role. Tends to be more of a full back. Um, was speaking. Uh, was speaking to. I think it was Cos from Get Italian uh, Football News who reckons that Sergio Regulon is more capable of playing kind of this wing-back role yeah, yeah. more so than Emerson is. But I uh, think so. it, it's going to be, if, if Ben Davies says he is, because I'm, I'm trying to think of another left-footed player they've got in defence, and I'm not sure any of their centre-backs are left-footed. I don't so. think they do, but it's worth remembering that at Chelsea, none of that back three were left-footed. Uh, David Luiz, Gary Cahill, Aspilicueta, all right-footers. So mm. I don't think that's too much of an issue. I don't think you necessarily need a lefty in the back three. Um, Chelsea current team now. Arteta will tell you uh, differently. <laughs> yes, well, Arteta yeah. likes the balance. Yes, we know, we know mm. that. That's, that's strange from that, but um, I don't think Conte necessarily needs mm. the, the left footer on the left side. And I think, yeah, Sergio Reguilón and even Emerson Royale, I think he'll really benefit from being able to, he seems from what I've seen of him, I've not watched a lot of Spurs. I've been busy covering Arsenal, to be honest. It's been a lot don't more fun this me. season. <laughs> so they tend to score a lot more goals. It's just a lot yeah. more going on in Arsenal games. But, from what I've seen of Emerson Royale, he seems to be a more attack-minded fullback. So maybe the wing-back role will suit him. Well, we'll have to see. But Sergio Reguilón, definitely someone who will really enjoy, I think, that attacking-minded uh, role that Conte seems to have carved out for him already. Hmm. And the other really big managerial news, which obviously is very much more related to Arsenal, Unai Emery didn't get appointed as, as Newcastle manager. Instead, I'm not sure it's been officially announced at the time of recording, but it's very, very likely that Eddie Howe is, is set to be the man to take that position. From my... If I take my journalistic hat off and come from an Arsenal fan point of view, I am not threatened anywhere near as much with the idea of Eddie Howe taking over as I would have been with, with say, Unai Emery. Mm, I agree. I think Unai Emery um, needs to be commended for the loyalty shown to Villarreal, and I get that because they gave him his chance back in football. I think after Arsenal, his mm. reputation had taken a real hit because he'd come from PSG before that and he had a few sort of questionable... Um, I guess, jobs in a row. But Villarreal, he's really been able to re-establish his reputation that we saw him build up at Sevilla. Mm. I think if Newcastle had been able to lure him to St. James's Park, that would have been a real coup for them because he's not necessarily a manager who you want for the long term to define the style of a club. But if you want mm. immediate results and you want to get up the table quickly, he's your guy. And I think he would have been perfect for what they need right now. I don't think he would have been the long-term answer for Newcastle, but in terms of just getting the best out of the players and finding a way, a system that suits the players, that can maybe cause a bit of damage to oppositions. I think Unai Emery would have been the guy. Eddie Howe, I'm always a bit on the fence about Eddie Howe because he did some good mm. stuff at Bournemouth, but defensively, they were not that great a side. Uh, they had a lot of issues. I get there's a lot of ex-Bournemouth players at Newcastle, Callum Wilson, Ryan Fraser, mm. so maybe he can try and get the best out of them again. But I think Newcastle really needs to fix up defensively right now. I've got a couple of Newcastle yeah. supporting mates who have told me that that's their biggest issue. They want to get a new centre-half in. In January, and I don't know if Eddie Howe is the kind of coach that really sort that out. I'd, I'd, I'd like to be proved wrong because I'm interested to see what happens with Newcastle, and just as an experiment, I'm interested to watch it uh, unfold. I don't, as much as it would be funny to see them get relegated to the championship oh, yeah. immediately after being taken over. I'm so on for that. <laughs> I know a lot of people are, a lot of people are, but I just I don't mm. think I quite want to see it. I want to see them next season really make a dent in the Premier League and see what they can do. But um, I don't know if Eddie Howe is necessarily a guaranteed 
sort of relegation mm, saver no. offer. That's not a word, but you get we point. know what you mean. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. But yeah, in the way that Unai Emery definitely would have kept them up, I don't think Eddie Howe does mm. do that. And I think there are options out there for Newcastle probably better suited the job. And maybe, maybe I'll be proved wrong, but maybe this also speaks to the fact they haven't got a director of football in yet. Yeah, Guys who have taken over don't have that much football expertise. Mm. So I don't know who's advising them on this appointment, but if I were them, I'd go for a different manager potentially. But I don't know who that would be specifically. Mm. It's not going to be Unai Emery. Mm. It's yeah. I mean, it was it was always going to be a difficult one. They wanted to get rid of Steve Bruce. That was very very obvious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was growing very very sour, even amongst the Newcastle fan base. And I feel I really felt for Steve Bruce because he's obviously a big it's Newcastle it. fan and Geordie himself. Yeah. So you look at that and you go moving on from from him probably was the right decision based upon the start they'd had hadn't won a single game so far but the way in which it went down was it just didn't sit right with me at all which is probably why i'm more open to seeing them go down than a lot of people maybe are fair enough um, fair enough yeah the treatment of steve bruce just that that's my excuse that's the uh the level-headed answer for that side fair of enough. Fair um enough. I do actually want to ask you on one more thing, which is, sure. and it's not English based, but it is obviously something that Arsenal have always had their Barcelona links. Um, and they've always been kind of, you know, there's been comparisons about the way we played much less so in kind of the last decade or so, but <laughs> Ronald Koeman leaving Javier, Javier Hernandez coming in, uh, what do you make of that? Like, do you think that's kind of a, a move that would put them back or do you think that's very much kind of a project piece? It's impossible process, to say. I will. mean, yeah, process. Yeah, it's a good way of describing it. I personally, I don't know about you, but my knowledge of the Qatari league isn't quite what it used to be. I've not really been following Al Sad. Um, <laughs> yeah. What it used to be? Did you used to be an expert? In the- <laughs> yeah, oh, back in the yeah. day, I was a massive expert, yeah. but I've lost track these days. But I, just, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I think it smacks to me of an appointment of a club who can't really afford to get a bigger name in right now. I think mm. if they could afford to get someone like an Antonio Conte in, they probably would have done. They probably would have sat Koeman a long time ago if they could afford to, but Barcelona is a financial mess right now. So they needed someone in who maybe will get a bit more time from the fans. So if results don't pick up immediately, mm-hmm. I don't think fans will be as quick to jump on someone like a Xavi Hernandez as they would Ronald Koeman, although Ronald Koeman himself is a, a club legend. Well, mm-hmm. was maybe a club legend. I think my tarnished his legacy slightly <laughs> yeah. now. But yeah, I, 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 it's difficult to make know what to make of it. I think it'd be interesting if they're able to stay in the Champions League, see if they do well there. But for me, their their big thing right now is being able to qualify for the Champions League via La Liga. Obviously, yeah. there's not as many strong teams in La Liga competing for those top four spots. But Barcelona are a long way off European football right now, so that's their their big game. I think it'll be interesting to see. I just I don't quite know if he's the guy who's going to maybe propel them back to yeah. where a club like Barcelona needs to be. And it's quite sad to watch them because. Yeah, I grew up watching Barcelona. I grew up watching those yeah. Guardiola sides. I grew up crying after the Champions League final when Barcelona oh, yeah. beat Arsenal in 2006. So those teams are teams that are sort of ingrained within my footballing education, footballing memory, being the very best around. And it's, it's a sad state of affairs that they've got players like Luke de Jong playing up front for them when they once had Lionel Messi. It just doesn't quite fit. And I yeah. think, yeah, Barcelona needs to get back as soon as possible. But just because of the financial mess of the club, it's not mm. going to happen for quite a while and I think it's going to be quite a long slow painful process and I don't think even Javi coming into the team will necessarily fix No he he does have a lot of those kind of Guardiola values and, and maybe yeah. that's what they're going to be looking at I think also from an Arsenal perspective like 
there was always a few rumours that went around about Mikel Arteta being kind of on their radar and, and then very much kind of monitoring how he was going to be getting on at Arsenal because obviously he's got his own links to Barcelona, of course. So maybe the fact that they've gone for a project manager puts any, if anyone had any nerves about Arteta leaving for Barcelona, probably those to rest. Uh, the only other thing now is Xavi known as being someone who likes to bring through young players as well. We know that he'll have that as a kind of affiliation to La Masia and how he brings youth players through there. And he'll be looking at very young players across the continent. Barca were linked with Charlie Patino previously as well. So maybe that will rekindle an interest there. There's lots of speculatory things that go on. That's not even a word, is it? We're, we're really a fan of words. Yeah, that's, that a word. that that's, a word. that's a word. Speculatory, is it a word? I don't know. It's a word uh, for the purpose of this show. <laughs> But you know what I mean. It's uh, yeah. It will be speculative of of Barcelona to, nice. to be looking at different things. There we go. Um, yes. but that will bring us to the end of today's show. We talked about some interesting topics, despite it being a, a fairly quiet one uh, on the Arsenal side of things, and not exactly a fireworks press conference either. <laughs> but uh, it will be an intriguing game. So what I'll ask from you, Kyra, is it is we'll start doing this more ahead of the game. So I'm going to ask you for a prediction uh, for the. I knew that game. was coming. I knew that was coming, <laughs> and I was worried about it. Um, Listen, you'd have to be a fool not to predict Arsenal to win right now just because of the form they're in. And Watford's are where they are on the table for a reason. So I'm going to go for 2-0 for the Arsenal mm. second time in a row. That is what I said on our Behind the Enemy Lines record, which oh, will be right, to okay. tomorrow uh, on the channel. So yeah, I went for 2-0. James, who we talked to from the Watford way, he went for a speculatory uh, scoreline. <laughs> so uh, make sure you tune in to find out what James went for from the Watford way. But thank you, Kai. As always, mate, really appreciate you taking the time. Tell people they can find you and what you got coming up. And no worries. Um, yeah, I'm on Twitter at KaiKai97, as you can see on that lovely... Uh, lower half, lower third, right there beneath me on the screen. I'm also on Facebook and I'm on the website first and foremost where you can find all my articles and all the other good stuff. Good stuff. You've got a piece on Tinian and Tavares coming out tomorrow, is that right? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Oh, wow. I've <laughs> that from nowhere. I, I thought, sorry, I thought yes. you said earlier about the choice between Tini and Tavares. We did, for... we, we did, we've done one already. Oh, uh, sorry. Week. Yes, that's Yeah, that, that's all good. That's all good. Um, yeah, Chris, um, Tash, uh, and I all did, um, uh, we did our opinions on who would, who we would pick out of Tini and Tavares. And I actually chose Tini in that piece, which is given that I said I've chosen, I would mm. go for Tavares shows how much I <laughs> flip flop an opinion. But uh, yeah, there we go. Um, that's who, yeah, that's something you guys should definitely check out. Um, yeah, it's definitely sure. caused a lot of debate on social media. Uh, and we'll have this afternoon, uh, I've got a piece on Tavares and Tierney's statistical comparisons and how Tavares is outperforming Tierney in 13 different metrics in the last wow. two games, so or averaged okay. across the whole season. So make sure you check that one out as well. Um, we'll see you again very, very soon. And as always, please keep following us down the Arsenal way. Oh,